Well, dear sisters and brothers in Christ, grace to you and peace from God our Father and our Lord and Savior, Jesus the Christ. So how many of you are old enough to remember when we had attendance pins for Sunday school and worship? You remember those? Who got one? Come on now. All right. So we're going to reprise those. You, if you make it through this sermon, this will be six sermons in a row, and we're going to give you a pen on the way out. Yeah. So if you've been here, which I can, as I'm looking at your faces, most of you have been here now for the last several weeks, and you've been hearing about Jesus bringing fire and how, how he wished it would be kindled. So you might have figured out if you're putting some things together in the gospel reading, such as food, a banquet, uh, Pharisees, and the Sabbath, uh, and Jesus, guess what? You got problems. There's going to be a fight, and there's going to be some turmoil, and there will, in fact, be some fire lit. And that's true again with this particular text. Now, the part that we did not hear from, because the lectionary committee didn't didn't stick it in, but it should be in, is the story of a healing that takes place between the words of Jesus being invited to a Pharisee's house for a banquet and then him having a parable about who, where you ought to sit. And it's a healing that takes place with a man who has dropsy, which is a disease we don't get much anymore. But in the first century, it was a disease that centered around congestive heart failure and some other issues but it made you swell up. You were retaining fluid, but the, the major symptom that came with it is that your desire to drink water or some kind of fluid was insatiable. You could not stop yourself from drinking. You would do whatever you could do and do anything you could to be able to continue to drink whatever your desire. And of course, it was killing you. It was quite literally killing you. And so Jesus, it's on the Sabbath, you already know that, they're at this person's house, and Jesus, of course, heals him and touches him. And then that's the setup for this story of where should you sit in the place of honor. Part of it is, I always think about, where's the salt? That's how you determine where the place of honor started in the first century. You would have been at a long table. You would have been reclining because they did not put their knees under the table. But somewhere on that table, whoever was the host would have placed a bowl of salt, and that would be the demarcation line. If you were above that, you were in a place of honor. If you were below, you were, well, you weren't quite as important. And Jesus has been watching as people have been pushing and shoving, trying to get to the well, they're appropriate place, right? And it, it's a lot rougher in the Greek than it is in the English. The translators were pretty nice. As Jesus observing, it's their desire for honor that's insatiable. It's another story about someone who needs to be healed, and that's what the parable is for. To get people to understand that if you're trying to be self-righteous, if you're trying to make yourself honorable, you can get yourself in serious trouble. Part of it has to do with who's choosing and what's, what's the mark, what's important. When I was in the fourth grade, we had a brand new teacher. She was brand new out of school. Her name was Miss Kofoit. 
And she was one of my favorite teachers out of my entire learning experience because she was an, an interesting woman in that she had way too many children in her class. There was about 40 of us with no aid. And I always think about, here's this 22-year-old or 21-year-old trying to manage all those little tiny bodies, me being one of them. And I remember our first recess that we went out for, and we were going to choose upsides to play something, and it doesn't matter what the something was. And by the fourth grade, we knew how this worked. The two strongest kids, the two fastest kids were going to be the team captains, and we we'd kind of self-selected. I'm talking about myself now. Um, and that we were going to be the team captains, not in Miss Kofoid's class. Nope. She had gone with us out into the playground, and she selected the two slowest and the two tiniest children in our class to be the team captains. And she said, they're going to be choosing up the sides. And I remember thinking, well, that's not how we do it. That's not right. I am way faster and stronger than both of them. Because now all of a sudden, the measuring stick was not speed or strength or height. It was who had been nice to those two people. The measuring stick was who had been friendly, who had not teased them. Now we know what we're being chosen for. And I remember what it felt like to not be the first one choosing or to be chosen until almost the very end. What? Because there was a different measuring stick. This is a story that Jesus is speaking into a culture of shame and honor. And again, we don't get all the stuff that's going on. He's really causing trouble. First, that he's healed on the Sabbath, that he's doing what he's supposed to do, which is teach on the Sabbath. That was appropriate. But then he really pokes into this man's world by telling him about who should be invited. I've had one experience of being the one invited that just stands out above all the others in my entire life. It was about my seventh trip to Cameroon. These are people that you've heard me talk about. I love the culture. I love the people over there. I love the church on the ground. The national church is pretty much a mess because for all kinds of reasons. But I had been invited by the king of Rebuba, and his name was Rebuba, and he was the 26th Rebuba, and he ruled over about a million people or more. And he was an interesting man, to say the least. He was the son of his father, obviously, and his father had been the first king to welcome Christian missionaries into their territory. And he protected them, kept them safe, and furthermore, the children of the missionaries were raised along this son, with this son. He made sure that they spent time together, played in the, in the fields, were looked after, tended to, but those children grew up. And when he finally was of age, his father sent him off to Oxford, where he first got an undergraduate degree and then a master's and finally a, a PhD. And then he returned home. And his father had been not like his father before him. He only had about 50 wives, 
where his grandfather had more than a hundred and more than a thousand women in the harem. But upon his return, he married a woman, and when I met him, he still only had one wife, which in his culture and his world was astonishing. And he had invited me to come and meet him, and so I, I traveled there with my friend, the missionary, and we were in his throne room. And it was very formal, and he's in full regalia. And it was the most amazing meeting. And translations all over the place because it was formal, even though he sp spoke perfectly good English, right? Everything is being translated. And I know exactly where I'm supposed to be. And I'm exactly where in the right spot. And then there's a break in the entire event, and I am, I'm invited by the king to come back into his apartment. And there's a bedroom in there and a sitting room and some other stuff. And we had a private conversation, which is not important to this story. But when we returned, the throne room had been transformed. And now it was a banquet hall. And an additional throne had been brought in. And I'm now sitting next to the king. I can't get any higher at this point. And I remember looking at my friend, the missionary, who's also a South Dakota and North Dakota boy, what is going on? And he goes, once again, you're on your own. Well, thanks. And here's this beautiful table that has been set with gorgeous food. Clearly he had done research. He knew what I loved to eat because there were many of the foods that I liked on the table. But then with trumpets and banners, here comes the main course, this goat that's brought into the room. And it's set in front of the king and myself, and the chef comes out, the, the steward of the, of the feast, and he removes the, the eyeball of the goat and gives it to the king, who's delighted to receive it. Guess who got the second? They had not covered eating eyeballs at bishop's school, it had appeared nowhere in the syllabus. I know I hadn't skipped over it. And again, I'm looking at my friend, and he's laughing like no other. It was the best day in his world, right? Because clearly, as the honored guest, I really needed to not be a problem. I know what it's like to be lifted up and invited into the most important place. And I told that story because now I want you to think about what Jesus is saying to the Pharisee. All the people that you invited for this banquet are not the ones that you should have invited. You invited your brother, you invited your, your, your favorite neighbors, your family, and your rich neighbors. All because you know you're gonna get paid back. You should have invited instead, what? The blind, the lame, those who are outcasts, those who would not have been invited, for sure. And the reason they would not have been invited as a Pharisee was because they were unclean. They were not righteous. They were, in fact, sinful. Because each one of them was bearing a mark of their sin or their parents' sin. And Jesus is saying to him, no, that's what the kingdom of God is like. That's who gets invited the lost and the lame and the ones who cannot pay you back. You got it wrong. 
And I think about that Pharisee because quite regularly I find myself in the same place. See, Pharisee means to separate. They thought they could be self-righteous. They thought they could fulfill God's law. They thought they could place themselves in the place of honor by their good deeds. And Jesus is saying, nope, that's not the way it works. The ones that you should have invited are the ones that you would never have invited. So as you know by now, I've been a pastor for 41 years. I've served a multiple number of different congregations. And guess what? Every one of them struggles with this story. I'm a student of history. I love history. Guess what? Every part of the church's history struggles with this. We do not want to invite the other. We do not want to invite those who are not like us. We're really very quite comfortable inviting those that look like us and speak like us and more importantly want to be just like us. Because if we, we know for sure that if we invite the other, those that are not a part of the community, that what? We know that we're going to be changed. They may want to worship differently. They may want different kinds of music. They may want a different liturgy. They may want to cover parts of the Bible that we're comfortable ignoring. They may want to have a understanding and sermons on pieces that we just don't want to struggle with. We know for sure that if we invite those people, those people, we will not be the same. And I can tell you that this is not me throwing a rock at you because it's true for pastors as well. We like being comfortable. We don't like being pushed. We certainly don't like being invited into a future where we don't know how it's going to come out. And yet there's Jesus talking to a Pharisee saying, this is who you should be inviting. This is what, in fact, the kingdom of God looks like. A lot of sinful people being gathered up. And when I hear Jesus say that, I want to just speak back to him in my own little tiny mind and say, well, that's fine, Jesus, after you've invited me, but could you quit inviting others right after me? I really would appreciate that. But no, Jesus keeps inviting. So I want you to hear that the church, the community of faith, always, always struggles with this. And I wish that it was one of the disciples speaking, because then we could do a better job of ignoring that. But in fact, it is, in fact, our Lord and Savior talking to you and to me this morning. This is who you should be thinking about inviting. The ones who are not here, the ones who are broken, just like you are broken. So God's blessings as you struggle with that this week and think about who you, you might invite to come and worship within this broken, welcomed community here at First Lutheran. Amen.